Before we proceed with the rest of the service, let's uh, take a moment of silence for spiritual preparation using 1 John 1 9, which says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, with our heads bowed, let's pray and then I'll open with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity where we can gather together to study your word. We're grateful for this opportunity so that we we can learn these truths and apply it and uh, make adjustments in our own personal lives where necessary. And we ask now that God, the Holy Spirit, would be the one to empower us and illuminate the word as we look into it this morning after our songs. And we ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The call to worship is taken from Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Psalms 139 says the following. You have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. But there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows Very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, They would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked in wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting powerful psalm I'd like to highlight a few things First of all, his omniscience and presence. You find this in verses 1 and 2. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. So that shows his omniscience and even his presence. You also see the fact that he recognizes, uh, David recognizes God's creation and formation. This is found in 13 to 14. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully made. Who made him? God. So you have the sense of creation and formation by God himself. Again in this Psalms, in 23 to 24, you have this in, this idea of invitation For examination, you know me, God, so I invite you to check me out. Search me, O God, in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You ever have anxious thoughts? David was not hesitant to challenge God to search me. I do have anxious thoughts. I'm not hiding it from you. Search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's taken from 23 and 24. And then you have this idea of trust and surrender, taken from verse 10. Here King David expresses trust and surrender. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This reflects the confidence of God's constant care and direction. Do you sense that in your life? That's a strong reminder that we can trust Him and surrender to Him. Having said that, let's sing our let's sing to the Lord with some psalm songs and psalms. As you know. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. This morning we're going to look at a, we're going to look at several verses, but the objective is to show you the chronology of sin how it works in the life of the believer. And then we're going to look at James chapter 5. I don't think I 
made my point or my case when we talked about how in the end, let's turn there really quickly so I can give you a preview. And so I'm going to take us through James, but before we look at James, I'm going to, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 so we can establish a few things. We're also going to look at the various deaths according to the Bible. There are several. But for now, it's a passage that we've seen before, but I want to use this as a foundation to our study this morning based on James. I want us to turn to Matthew 15, 19. As we look at this, I'll need your assistance in the sense of telling me what you see so that I can tell that we're all on the same page here, okay? Matthew 15, 19. Matthew 15, 19. I'll read it for those online. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. You guys see that? Look at verse 1. So we know the context here. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were with Jerusalem, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress, transgress the tradition, traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat the bread, or the, when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your, trans, your tradition? You want to get me on the my disciples for not washing hands? Well, how come you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Take it back all the way to 19. Or let's start with 15. Peter answered and said to him, we're looking at Matthew 15, 15. Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Peter's asking Jesus to explain the parable. Are you also still without understanding? You still don't get this? Do you not yet understand, verse 17, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the what? Stomach. Goes to your belly and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Another, word, another way of understanding the heart is the inner man, the old man, the flesh. And sometimes we can refer this to the sin nature. Those are good synonyms for the heart. So again, let me repeat. The things which proceed out of the mouth come from the where? The heart. Listen to what he says here. These are what defile a man. For out of the heart, from the inner man, from the inner you, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. That's what, that's what counts. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So, I'm in your Bible class and I need help. 
What do you guys see in verse 19? Again, we're going to transition into the study. But help me understand what 19 is saying. What's going on here? Matthew 15, 19. Don't be concerned with the law. Good, Brian. Okay, don't be concerned with the law. Be concerned with man's sin. Okay, great observation. Debbie? Okay, God's law versus man's tradition. Very good. Okay, did Jesus add more burden to the Pharisees? Okay. Their tradition, very good observation there, especially when we started with 15, in the very beginning. But the question is, he's, who's he talking to now? He's talking to disciples, plural, or one? Who asked, who asked the question? Peter's asking the question. So, okay, very good. Great observation to us. The parable to, I'm just saying this so that we can stay on track, right? So he's answering whose question? Peter's question, and he says, explain it to us. But the answer now is, do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach? Right? Goes into the stomach and it is eliminated. Goes out. Goes in. Goes out. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, that's the concern. They come from the heart and those are the things that defile what? Man. That's the answer. He's now explaining the parable. But out of the heart, another word is the inner man, inside you, Out of the heart comes out, flows out evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, and false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that what? These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a man. So what is he contrasting here? What's Jesus contrasting here? The difference between what? What and what? Outside versus inside. So if we're going to distill it down to a few things, what would you say? Inside, outside. So if you're going to cover this in a women's Bible class, what would you say? Inside, outside. Very good. Okay. Man, God looks at the heart. That's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Okay. Very good. So it's God looks at the heart or the inside, right? So man looks at the outside. But Where does sin originate? On the outside? 
in your thoughts, Everett. You're right. Where does the thoughts come from? In your soul. Where's that? Inside. He's contrasting external versus internal. The washing of the hands is external. That does nothing. That doesn't defile you. The external doesn't defile you. Ultimately, it's the internal. Because what comes out from the internal? Do we have a list here? The verb proceed. Look at the verb proceed in 19. For out of the heart, that word is exerconti. It's in the present tense, which means that it's these sins that continue to flow out of the heart. Exerconti, it's constantly flowing from the heart. That word proceed. For, for out of the heart proceeds, ongoing, it continues to flow out of the, the evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Exocontai, that word proceed, again it's in the present tense, indicative mood, which is a statement of fact from Jesus himself. He's basically saying, look, your heart is constantly pumping these things out from the inside. You want to know where the real sins come from? The inside. Don't worry about the external. It always starts from the internal. And what comes from the internal? Exocontai. Proceed. Evil thoughts consistently comes out. Murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are proceeding from the heart, from the inner man. From you, from me, on the inside. It originates from the inside. It starts from the inside. Extra contact. It's proceeding. Present tense. That means Marty, Everett, Freddie, Judy, Debbie, Rick, all of us, Freddie, Bill, Exarchontite, the evil thoughts are constantly proceeding from the inner man. So we're struggling because, not because we have difficulty with the external, but because inwardly we have an issue, we have a problem. It proceeds and flows from the inside. And he says, Peter, stop worrying about Don't you understand the parable, what I just said? Has nothing to do with the external. It all starts from the inside. You should know this by now. You should know this by now, Peter. It proceeds. These things come from the inside. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, slanders. Where does that come from? On the inside. How how often do we struggle with these things? Probably consistently. One way or another, we fall. We fall short. This is proceeding from inside us. So, is that pretty clear? That it comes from the inside? I want you to take note that the sin, the sin that Jesus is describing to Peter... And, and really hiding it from the Pharisees and scribes. Actually, he's expounding on it, saying, why are you getting on my men because they don't wash their hands? 
you know what, what about you? You transgressed the law. How about that? Touche. But then he winds up telling Peter, because Peter asked him a question, explain this parable to us. Well, don't you know out of the heart proceeds, exocontai, proceeds. It comes from, and in the end, in verse 20, Bill, could you read verse 20? Matthew 15. Let's know what it says. Matthew 15, 20. So these are the things that what? Defile. This is what wrecks a man. This is what disturbs a man. This is what flanks the man with their relationship with God. So if the thought pattern is not dealt with, if the inner man is not dealt with, these things could happen any time. As a believer, we can do anything that the unbeliever can do, but better. Why better? Because we have poker face. We could pretend like nothing's going on and come to church, go to Bible class. How you doing, Freddie? Oh, I'm fantastic. And before I got here, I just grieved God with a mental sin, an overt sin, a verbal sin. And because internally I'm wrestling with my thoughts, I'm wrestling with the inner man, my heart. If I don't deal with that, I'm going to have all these sins ready to proceed from the inside out because it stems from the heart, stems from the inner man. Does that make sense? comes from the inside. So now that's Matthew 15, 19. The good news is I don't have very many slides today. But I'm going to put together something here that I think will answer some of the burning questions that came up a few about two months ago where um, where I said in Matthew or James five, let's turn there. I, I'm gonna, I wanna develop this, but in the back of your mind, I want you to see where I'm going with this. Turn to Matthew five. Uh, James five. Oh boy, I, I need coffee, I think. James chapter five. Bill, could you help me out with this? Verse twenty. Who remembers this? Laura remembers this, huh, Laura? And uh, Austin. I argue that this is physical death. It's not a very popular position, but I'm going to show and establish why I believe that. Now, you don't have to agree with me. You have the right to be wrong. I learned that from Dr. Meisinger. He used to say in class, he goes, when we would disagree with him, he said, well, you're all entitled to be wrong if you want. I like that. So, but I'm going to try to establish the fact that I believe this is saving a soul from physical death. Not spiritual death, not operational death, not any of the deaths. Not, I'm going to show you the deaths, the different types of deaths as shown here on my slide. 
So I'm, the title is Saving a Wandering Believer from Premature De- Death. You guys see that there? What does that mean? What's my title mean? Help me out. Just pretend that I forgot. Sin unto death. What's another way of saying that? Excellent. Sin unto death, right? What else? If you saw this for the first time, saving a wandering believer from premature death, what else can you conclude based on just the title alone? Just the title alone. Temporary death, okay. Temporary death. Why do you say temporary? Moment in time. Okay. Very good, Everett. I just want, there is no wrong answer here. Not until I'm done. Saving a wandering believer. Who's a believer here? Let's just say Judy is wandering. And we're going to talk about what she's wandering from. When you look at 20, verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from what? The truth. What's truth? Word of God. If anyone wanders from the truth or the word of God or doctrine and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul or a life from physical death and cover a multitude of sins. And I know when I say physical, I see some of you like, that doesn't add up. That's not physical death. But I'm going to show you why I think it's physical death. So, anybody else have a, t- a take on saving a wandering believer from premature death? Anything else come to mind? Or is it early death? Yes, but premature means early. So, like, early, sooner than he could have or she could have. Like an accident. Oh, Judy? Okay. Okay, so God has the prerogative to remove the person who is no longer contributing to the community of believers. And so just to remove him from this world and no longer be an advocate for Satan, for example. Right? Okay, good. (laughs) Operational death. And even though that's wrong, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying that that's a popular position, and I'm going in a direction that's going to be tough. So, Brian, a cop on the street. Okay, okay, very good. So a cop is pulling someone over. Traffic offense, intoxicated, DUI. So if the cop didn't pull a person over, that person could have crashed, could have died, could have killed someone. So the cop stepped in and prevented something. And in fact, you see, uh, will save a soul from death and cover a what? A multitude of sins. The person that he's turning around. 
Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said, I'm up against a, a, straw, a, a steep here because I'm very familiar with the popular doctrinal position. So... Right. Very good. So he was turned over to Satan, and what was the end result? Anybody know? Yeah, he he survives. And what's that, Bill? He repented. So that, there's a place when a person is going AWOL, and then you turn them over to Satan via prayer, collectively as a church, I would take that as to be the leadership team, and say, we need to pray for Freddie. He's gone astray, and so he's living in sin. And so you guys pray for me, and then God, Satan, uh, God allows Satan to take over and beat me up. I have a hard time. I said, oh, my God, leadership team, deacons, I'm back. I'm back in the saddle. Yeah. That that would be very difficult. That's an excellent example. <laughs> that's right. That could have been premature death. Yeah, that's right. He could have, but the fact that he lived is an example of his grace. Every person is different. Every person is different. Okay, just like a father to his child, he he deals with each child differently. If you have five children. Some is a little bit more sensitive. Some is a little bit more um, rebellious. And so you, you have to deal with each child differently. So saving a wandering child or a wandering believer from... Well, that fits too. Wandering child, wandering believer from premature death. So you know this slide already. We're looking and focused on phase two, which is something that I very... Uh, personal to me because I've been working on something that relates to this in the, in the form of a book, a small booklet, phase two. In fact, my son and I are going through this every night and we're covering things that relate to phase two. So I'm making sure that not only does he get it, but as I'm teaching it, it becomes more crystallized. So phase two, you all know this, so we're just going to move now to the seven types of death. Here we go. Number one, what's spiritual death? Okay, let's look at Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1, open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, because I really want to be clear on what the Bible says with the, ver- the seven types of deaths, and this will help establish the correct view of James 5. How about that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what it says here. You were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Referring to the Gentiles here. You Gentiles he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 
So what do you get from this verse, Ephesians 2.1? Spiritual death, correct? You were dead, but now you're alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and as such, you have been made alive because you're faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It's buttressed in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Clear? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Turn to Romans 5.12. A few more verses here. Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12. Another example of spiritual death. It's always good to let the scriptures speak. Therefore, Romans 5.12, Just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all had sinned. Romans 5.12. Who can give me an interpretation on this? Their own interpretation just by reading it. Romans 5.12. You're in the middle of a study and someone says, what's this mean in verse 12 of Romans 5? Very good. Excellent. Because of Adam's sin. We were all contaminated with Adam. Notice, just as through one man, who's the man? Adam. Entered the world and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. So, If the President of the United States declares war, we're all saying to the world around us, we Americans are ready for war because of one man. Even though we did not voice that out, he represents us. Correct? So all countries all around the world will look at us and say, those Americans want to fight. But by one man's sin, all have sinned. He represents all of us. You see that? All of us fall under the headship of Adam. Take a look at Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. We're looking at the death, spiritual death that is. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the spiritual death here. The wages of sin is death. That's the separation. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Christ Jesus. It's positionally in Christ. Here's that preposition in once again. The gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ 
Jesus our Lord. That preposition in is always, you find it trickled all in the epistles especially from Paul. In, in, in. Because that's what makes us distinct. That's what makes us alive. That's what makes us saved. It isn't because we're good. It isn't because we're bad. It's because we're in Christ positionally. We're either in Christ or who? Adam. We start off being in Adam, but upon faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, we're now positionally in Christ. So the gift of God is the Lord in Christ. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.22 I'll read it. 1 Corinthians 15.22 Actually, Bill, can you read it? So we can... Okay, so help me out here. What's what's Paul talking about in fifteen twenty two? What is Paul saying in fifteen twenty two? Spiritual death. Okay, how do we know that? Okay, the person is physically alive, so this has to be spiritual death. And what made them alive? How is the person alive? Born again, using verse 22? Being in Christ. In Christ, so all shall be made alive. 15.22 So the first death is spiritual death. The second death is physical death. Anybody need help with the physical death? I think that's obvious, right? It's the idea of separation of the soul from the body. So first death, spiritual death. Second death, physical death. Third death is called the second death. The second death is the perpetuation of spiritual death into eternity. This occurs at the beginning of eternity. This is the final judgment of the non-Christian, the unbeliever. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man once to die after this, the judgment. Revelation 20, 12-15, what's that talk about? Let's turn there, Revelation 20, 12-15. We should know, at least in our mind what this is talking about because this shows us how a person goes to the lake of fire or what prevents them from going to the lake of fire. Did you know that? This answers how a believer cannot go to the lake of fire and what will spare them from going to the lake of fire. It, it explains it here in Revelation twenty, twelve to 15. I'll read it. 12 to 15, Revelation 20. I'm 
looking at 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. <coughs> books in the plural. So we know that there's at least two here, right? But watch. Books were open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their sins. Is that what it says? Oh, their works. So the the unbelievers are being judged for their works or by their works, not by their sins, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each according, each one according to his works. Verse 14. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. So Hades or hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is called the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So help me out. What does a, why would a person be cast into the lake of fire? According to this. Okay. Unbelief. How do you, where do you find that, Laura? Well, it does say they're judged according to their works. Okay, so unbelief. They're all, they all become, all unbelievers become believers at the, ju- at, at, at the great white throne judgment. They're now gonna say, oh my gosh, I was wrong. Lord, I believe in you now. Right? I see now that I was wrong. You're a gracious Lord, aren't you? But notice, I I think, Debbie, you hit it right on the head. Verse 15. Anyone not found written in the book of life was hurled or cast into the lake of fire. So now we have to prevent others from experiencing verse 15. In other words, how do we prevent them from having their name not being found in the book of life, acquiescing to Jesus Christ. We know that as you compare scripture with scripture. But when you look at Revelation 20, the the problem here is they're standing, they're being judged by their works. And they will find out that their book their name was not written in the book of life and they were hurled into the lake of fire. Who is going to be there as well? Devil, the fallen angels. How many angels are there? A third of the angels. That's billions and billions. We, we really don't know the number. We know it's a lot, right? So please note, we've got three deaths here. Spiritual death, physical death, second death. Uh-oh, here's the fourth one. Operational death. Operational death. What's operational death? How about this? It's the failure of the believer to produce divine good. Producing wood, hay, and stubble instead of gold, silver, and precious stones. This is a very popular view. It's called the operational death. 
that means the believer is not functioning under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you the next death here. But this is operational death, that whatever they do... So if Rick were to give me a cup of water and he was not filled with the Spirit, it will result in wood, hay, or stubble. Does that make sense? That's the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. He is a believer. So now we have the operational death, temporal death. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So a lot of people will be under the impression that, oh, I thought I did good. And they're going to find out that they're going to get wood, hay, and stubble. The fact that there is wood, hay, and stubble contrasted with gold, silver, and precious stones, there's someone watching and determining the rewards rightly do that individual. If it's worthy of wood, wood, hay, or stubble, you'll get that. If it's under, if it's gold, silver, or precious stones, you get that. And the crowns, as found in the New Testament, like in James and other places. Debbie, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. This is not the great. Yeah, you're. Si- yes, because spiritually speaking, you are not under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit. You're operating from the energy of the flesh. Why do we first John one nine? Why do we rebound? To recover the filling filling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, then our good works will become will be under the influence of the energy of the flesh. So there's a distinction between human good and divine good. Operational death tilts towards energy of the flesh. Human good. You're doing good deeds under the energy of the flesh. You're not doing it under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit. Thereby, which is why we, we always prioritize confessing our sins just in case we grieve the Holy Spirit. We're told not to grieve nor quench. If you do either or, grieving is a moment sin, MOV. What's the acronym MOV stand for? It moves you away from God. What's M? Mental sin, overt sin, verbal sin. Remember the acronym moves you away from God if you commit any of those sins, be it mental, overt, or verbal. Now, you can't escape God, of course, but it's just a neat way to know in your mind for those of us who have failing cognition, like myself, mental, overt, verbal, if you commit any of those, it moves you or breaks fellowship with God. Yes, it's... 
out of fellowship. Because that's that falls under temporal death. If you're operating under temporal death, then your works. You see the temporal death here? Temporal death will lead to operational death, which means if you're operating from temporal death, which is a state of carnality, out of fellowship, then everything that you do is categorized as operational death. You produce wood, hay, or stubble. There's a distinction between the two because when you zoom in, operational death means you're under the energy of the flesh but why the question is why are you why is any person operating from the energy of the flesh because of temporal death because of carnality because you're out of fellowship so if you're out of fellowship that means everything you do will be operationally dead make sense so operationally you're out of you're out of sync with God the Holy Spirit because you're out of fellowship. You're in a state of carnality. So op, temporal death is going to result in operational death, or actually it's the reverse. I'm sorry. Operational death will result to temporal death. So if you are, no, actually it's the reverse. Yeah. Okay. So. State of carnality, out of fellowship, results in operational death. So in other words, it's like this. If I'm coming here to th- help out Bill, let's say Bill's having problem with his iPad, and I'm out of fellowship, I've committed MOV, and I did not confess that, then my deeds are good, I'm going to help this brother out, but because I'm at odds with God the Holy Spirit, I'm now experiencing Though I'm going to result, my works are going to result in wood, hay, or stubble. Why? Because I'm out of fellowship with God. Does that make sense, or am I confusing everybody more? Hopefully, I'm not. Yes, every believer is going to be guilty of that sooner or later. Maybe some of you are saying that right now. Right. So let me, let me be clear. I'm going to try to be clear. Sometimes my words fail me. So when we operate from the energy of the flesh, we are out of fellowship. We have to recover stat, stat, ASAP. Why? Because we lost the filling ministry. We lost the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we have no power. We have no illumination when we study the word. We have no influence from God the Holy Spirit. And when we're in that status, everything we do is operationally dead. Now we can do good deeds from the external, such as give some, give someone a glass of water, help someone with a ride, give them a couple bucks, but that's operationally dead and that's going to result in wood, hay, or stubble. However, if I rectify that by first, first John 1 9ing, I'm no longer in operational death. I'm no longer temporal, experiencing temporal death because I've recovered. I'm now filled with God the Holy Spirit. And this is the time to do things for God's glory. This is the time to get into your Bible. This is the time to serve Him. This is the time to reach out to others. This is the time that you have maximal horsepower because the Holy Spirit is now directly influencing your actions. Okay? Everett?
That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's you're absolutely right. Sometimes we can spend all day. But I don't think we should be robotic or mechanical. I think that once the Holy Spirit brings it to mind and we know that we failed him, that's the time to bring it to attention. I think that's fair and reasonable. Otherwise, we can't get anything done. Right? We can't go to work, we can't we're going to be out of our minds thinking, oh my gosh, did I fail him again? Did I fail him again? Did I fail him again? Because the bottom line is... Oh, Judy, go ahead. Sure. Yes. Right. That's right. Excellent, Brian. And Judy, thank you for that too. And I agree with that because if you turn real quickly to 1 John chapter 1. As you guys were speaking, uh, something came to mind. 1 John chapter 1. Someone read six and seven. So the blood of Christ, there's a continual, continually ongoing cleansing from Jesus Christ as we're walking in the light. Where where is He? He is in the light himself. Not only is God light, he is in the light. And so as we walk in truth, then his blood cleanses us on a regular basis. So 
just like what Brian said and Judy said, we don't have to confess every second unless the Holy Spirit, Spirit brings it to mind. Then we confess it. Because sometimes I believe he'll do that as well. But we don't have to. Sometimes just at the end of the day, Lord, you know, I know that I wasn't perfect and if there was anything that was, um, if I had some kind of shortcoming in my actions, my thoughts, I confess that to you even though I don't know the specific details, but because I love you so much, I want you to know that I fall short and you are holy, you are just, and so I'm not going to worry about it because you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, you know my intentions, you know where I am, where I stand with you, and so I'm just coming clear before you, I'm not perfect, and I recognize that. Your word says, if we say that we have no sin, we make you a liar, and that's never going to be true. So, why don't you save it for the end of the day, before you sleep? So let me go through this, I know you guys are interested in seeing my, now there's sexual death. All that means is the inability to procreate. So you have seven deaths. So remember, spiritual death, physical death, second death, operational death, temporal death, and sexual death. These are the seven types of death as mentioned in the Bible. Well, that's six. One, two, three. I can't even count, huh? All right. Well, I... Sorry, that, that should say six. Six deaths. All right, here we go. Now let's move on. Verse 14 first. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word drawn away is ex elko. Ex elko means to draw away. And here, uh, epithumia, for his own desires, drawn away in epithumia. So please notice the notes here. This verse tells us where temptation initiates, where it comes from. The term his own desire points to the cause. Remember what we saw in Matthew 15? Here, James 5 says the same thing. His own desire points to the cause. Everyone has an inborn responder to sin. Paul calls this the flesh, and we refer to it as the sin nature. So it cannot be stopped, nor improved upon, nor refined. We can learn, however, to say no to its sinful promptings. So this verse also tells us how the sin nature works. So that that uh, verb exelco it's the verb drawn away is a hunting term for luring an animal away from its place of shelter. Okay? So the verb enticed is a fishing term meaning to ensnare by using bait. So let me just say a few things about this ex elco. It's a present passive participle. So what does that mean? It means it's an ongoing action right now happening to every believer. What What is happening every day? We're being drawn away. Ex alco. We're being drawn away. We're being lured away. We're being drawn, lured away. And it's 
originating from our own desires, epithumia, craving, lusting, the desire. It's coming from our own desires, and the inner, the own desires refers to the inner man, the sin nature, the old man, as I pointed out here. Paul calls it the flesh. We usually refer to it as the sin nature. So when you look at the the word epithumia, it's a genitive singular. And the idea here, it implies a possessive relationship, suggesting that the desire has a certain ownership of the believer. So think about that. The desire... That word desire has an ownership on us. The sin nature controls or owns us. So we're drawn away by what? Our inner man, the old, the old man, our sin nature, we're drawn away by what's on the inside. On the inside, and guess what? It has ownership of us. That's the idea of epithumia. It's, it owns us. It controls us. The flesh. Would anyone disagree? That's a warring struggle on the inside. Epithumia. The craving, the lust comes from the inside. And we're drawn away by what? Our own desires. The inner man. The old man. The flesh or the sin nature. So please remember, ex elco It's this idea of luring away. What's luring us away? Our epithumia, the inside, the sin nature, the the inner man. So let me read it now back in just simple English, New King James. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Where is it coming from? Inside. Inside. Bottom line is it's coming from the inside. This is why we struggle. This is why Everett says he has a friend who says, well, I'm going to rebound every second, all the time. Epithumia and exelco combine. No wonder why it's driving us crazy. We're all in the same boat. But this is what the scripture says. This is why we struggle And this is why we need the Word of God. This is why we need doctrine. Because it's the Word of God that transforms us. Are we going to ever be set free? No. Only in the future kingdom that's coming. Or when we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. But what we're doing is looking at why we struggle the way that we struggle. Because we're drawn away, we're lured away... By what's inside. It's ingrained. The own desire that you and I have. Which when we bottom line it, it results in the sin nature, the old man. So you're saying, well that still doesn't convince me. Well, let's look at this. Verse 15, here's the verse. Oh, this is verse 15, I'm sorry. Getting some context here. If you're the note-taking kind, here we go. Then when desire, when desire is in the feminine, 
has conceived is in the feminine. It gives birth to sin is in the feminine. And sin is feminine. Three, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. It's in the masculine. See, I proved my point. Let's go home. Please note, the verbs 1, 2, and 4, right there in the middle, which is desire, number 2, is gives birth to sin, and number 4 are terms of procreation. Anyone know what procreation is? Huh? Marty? Having babies. Producing babies, right? So, look at it one more time. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. So, since these verbs personify issues of procreation and growth, it makes sense to treat the feminine, masculine, and masculine nouns as people. Notice that three and four are very close, correct? You see three and four? Three and four says when it is full grown, it brings forth death. You guys see that? Only God knows when sin is mature or full grown, and this will result to the sin unto death. The kind of death that can occur when sin is mature or long-term carnality is physical death. <clears throat> now let's take that to... With this in mind, if you're, I know some of you are taking notes, I want you to see once again, desire... Has conceived, these are pregnant terms. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And we looked at the seven, six categories of death, right? So three and four, there's a spread. Three will be a long time before it gets to four. So, what would three be likened to? What would you say? If full, if full grown is an adult, what do you think? When it is full grown, what do you think that refers to? Desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it grows and is full grown, brings forth what? Death. So you see the imagery here? Desire has conceived the baby. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows and is full grown, there's time, there's a time lapse when full grown brings forth death. Now let's look at 19. James 5:19 to 20. Let's also look at two verses. 1 Corinthians 11:27 to 30. 
First Corinthians eleven twenty seven to thirty. Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick among you, and many, what? Many sleep. This is a euphemism for a believer who is prematurely taken home. Sin unto death. Second verse. Acts chapter 5. We won't read the whole thing, but Acts chapter 5. We'll just go through several verses here. A certain man named Ananias, Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, husband and wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie the, to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. The young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Verse 7. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young man came in, found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Another example of sin unto death. 1 Corinthians 11, Acts chapter 5. So you can see death can take place when sin is in view. We've established that at least twice. So now, the word save in, in, in verse 20 of James 5 is in the future tense. Please notice, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he, the brother or sister, who turns a sinner from the error of his way will 
save a soul from physical death and cover a multitude of sins. So now, what I'm concluding based on just this, these two verses is that I believe that these verses are saying that a believers can intercede prior to sin maturing in a drifting believer. The believer is drifting, and so someone who steps in and turns him around can save him from physical death. Now, if we apply operational death or any of those deaths, wouldn't that be redundant? And plus, let's go back to, let me turn back to this really quickly. Let's say it's operational death. Would it not be true that operational death would have taken place in James 5, 1, uh, James 1, 15, in right there when desire has conceived? You see that there in in the PowerPoint? Desire has conceived. Wouldn't death have taken place here? So this is double talk in verse 19 and 20. It would be redundant. Because in when desire has conceived, this is already operational death. This is already broken fellowship. This is already, what's the other one? Temporal. It, it would have happened right there when desire has conceived. That's already sin. It gives birth to what? Sin. And sin when it grows over time, will bring forth death. So if you plug in when, if you plug in operational death, well look at it. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Right then and there, any of the seven categories of death, and not all of them can fit here, but operational death, let me see if I can turn the slide back. I have it here. So spiritual death is one option. Physical death is another option, which is what I hold to. Second death is another option. Operational death is a popular view. Temporal death is a view. Sexual death. It can't be sexual death because it's not talking about death here. It's talking in pregnant terms. It's talking about procreative terms. But please notice, if we plug in operational death, which is a very popular view, then I would place it right there when it says, when desire has conceived... It gives birth to what? Sin. That's where we would insert operational death, right there. But sin, operational death, when it is full bloom, when it is full grown, it brings forth operational death again? No, can't be. There's something beyond the operational death as found in James 1.15. It's expanded. It grows. So sin and sin when it is full grown. So if we say sin here, this is where operational death would have taken place. See that? Let me see if I can see this on the slide. Let's, let's say operational death. It should have been right here. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to operational sin. And operational sin when it continues and is full grown brings forth what else can fit there? It can't be operational death because operational death would be here. When it's conceived, it gives birth to sin 
And if you say operational death is here, then you've got it twice. When it gives birth to operational death, it brings forth, it brings forth operational death again. The only thing that will make sense if that's related to physical death, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians 11, Acts chapter 5. Right. Right. It's all done. Still saved. All the rewards. Gold, silver, precious stones are the rewards. Very good. So let's read this again and we'll close because we're out of time now. 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will deliver a life from physical death and cover a multitude of sins. The reason why I come up with, I think it's physical death is because of James 1.15. It relates to how sin will give birth over time and once it reaches, and just like what Brian said, it will eventually, just like a cop stopping someone from a, uh, with, who's DUI, he can prevent him from further damage. So, save a soul from physical death and cover a multitude of sins. So this is where we will conclude and that ends our class today. Hopefully that made sense. If not, well then, uh, you have the right to be wrong. So hopefully that at least stimulated your thinking. So let's close in a word of prayer and then we'll sing one last song because he is worthy. Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. We know how important this is because you alone are worthy. We love you because you first loved us. And we are grateful for this opportunity to examine your word, that we may grow by it. And so we thank you, Lord, for this time. And we ask, Lord, that you would keep us all safe as we commute home today. And we look forward to meeting you again or studying your word again during the week, uh, be it Wednesday or Sunday next week. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.